I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Hi, I'm excited to have David Rubman as my podcast guest today. David and I go way, way back. We actually met through our children in our preschool class. David actually has twins and my daughter uh, grew up with his kids. Actually, you'll notice that a couple of the podcast guests I've met through preschool. So that was a great class and we've all become really, really great friends. And I guess the parents from these kids are all doing really interesting things. So we're going to be talking to them on the podcast. David has been a lawyer. He worked in legal aid and in government settings. And then he transitioned to a small firm with an emphasis in immigration law. But what we're here to talk about today is how David got ready for retirement how he took his passion of being a lawyer and turned it into another passion. And David has become a wonderful artist. I've seen his work. It's outstanding. I've got several friends whose work is hanging in their homes, but I'm excited because I've seen the end result, but I never really talked to David how this all started. So David, I think, why don't we bring everyone back and kind of talk about what your thoughts were as you started to think about retirement and what you decided that you wanted to do when you retired? Well, those are really broad questions, which means I can avoid answering them directly, which I like. (laughs) Can answer any way you want, David. Any way I like. You know, for me, I was not loving my career. I, I reached a point where it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. My mother got ill in her mid-70s, and it kind of was a shocking thing. She was a very vibrant person. And then she started going downhill, and I realized life is kind of short. We, you, know, you don't expect these things to happen, and boom, overnight, she went from fully functioning to pretty close to non-functioning. And as I reached, you know, I got close to around 60, and I was realizing, oh, there's only so many years ahead of us, and if I don't particularly love what I'm doing, I have to figure out if there's something else I can be doing. I sat down with the financial people and went through the finances and figured out whether we could afford to retire. Obviously, that's question number one. That's that's Sherry's business. But <laughs> And it helped that I have a wife who's fully employed and loves what she's doing and is going to do it forever. I don't, I don't think she'll ever stop, David. Do you? No, no. <laughs> she may slow down. <laughs> We encourage her to keep working because then I have more time to play play on my hobbies. And then as my kids were finishing up high school, I, I just set myself a deadline saying, you know, when they go off to college, I'm going to transition. I am going to change. And I was, I think I was about 59, 60 at that point. And we started a little bit later in life. So we kind of compressing a lot of our lives into a shorter period of time, which also gave a little bit more urgency to do things quickly. So I just retired. I mean, I told my partner I'm leaving and my law partner. And I said, let's figure out where we go next with the law business. But I, I'm out. And she said, you're crazy. You're going to want to 
be part-time. You're going to want to you know, keep your finger in this. It's your, it's what you do. It's your identity. And I said, yeah, but no, I really thought I could stop. There's parts of the law biz that I enjoyed and there's parts that I enjoy intellectually following, but I can't say that it's something I wanted to do day in and day out with all the stress involved. And I did it. I, I stopped and then I did not know what to do. I had a vague idea that I wanted to be an artist. Had you ever done any artwork before? I started woodworking. That's that was my art form. I started when my kids were young. So after we got through the first phase of, of their lives, I I was able to have a few minutes to breathe and say I want to do something. I mean, I'm thinking that it was there in the back of my mind for my entire life, but I I couldn't identify it. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't think I had any talent. I couldn't draw for anything. I never took an art class, but I knew I wanted to make something. So the woodworking I started with, and I took a class, and then I took another class, and I set up a very small shop in my basement and started making things, but it was all very hobby-like, and I enjoyed it. I ended up in my work working four days a week, so I'd have an extra day so I could be in the shop a little bit more. So you kind of started this before before retirement, yeah. Yeah. So you dabbled in it to see how you liked it and 10 to 15 years. Probably more like 10 years. And I knew I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was a it was something it would be I could do full time, but you never know. I knew I wanted to do something. I I had this vague idea of having a small business like manufacturing something. I was thinking of computer designs and computer manufactured some things, which is very possible now. You can get very, very inexpensive CNC computer-driven machines, 3D printing machines, and you can, you can manufacture stuff. And you can, and there's a way to manage and sell because you have an entire online presence. You There's a zillion ways to sell things. So in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I would start some sort of business and then also do a, the artistic pursuit on this on this side. So I was thinking of a two-pronged effort. One, to, to make a little money and, and the other is just to be purely artistic and see where that went. I couldn't figure it out though. It took a while. It took several years. Can we go back just a little bit? So you were doing the woodwork on the side. You went to your partner. You decided you're not going to go part-time. You're not going to do consulting. You're just going to retire. So kind of bring us back to that day and your thought process. I think you mentioned the manufacturing. You had the art in the back of your mind. So did you take some time to decompress or what kind of happened, right? when you left? Well, you know, my wife and I looked at each other and said, are you sure you can do, we can do this? Are you sure financially we can do this? That's certainly extremely important. But also psychologically, can you do this? This is, this is a big deal. You're not going to the office. You don't have a focus. What are you going to do all day long? And let me stop right there because I think a lot of people think of retirement, just the financial side. And you know, you and your wife, as I always preach, you know, you live within your means. You had, sounds like, the financial resources to have the flexibility to do this. So the financial side is important. But what we're going to talk about now, which I think you just mentioned, is the emotional side of the whole thing, because your identity has been one thing for a long time. The days are long. And anyone who's retired will tell you. And I've, we've all talked to many people who've retired and don't know what to do. And you know, volunteering is great. I mean, I tried every possible volunteer thing I could I could think of. I joined the board of a nonprofit theater company. I became a volunteer for junior achievement going into the school 
the school system and, and working with kids. A few other different volunteer efforts. I did a legal thing. They were all fine, but they just didn't fill any huge need. They're very part-time. To build up relationships within any volunteer effort takes a very, very long time. It certainly was not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And then my artwork, it wasn't going anywhere. And I just couldn't figure out which direction I wanted to go in. And and I'm not great at networking and I'm not great at asking for help. I just kind of like go through it myself and figure it out. It took a while. And I would say a good five years of fuddling around and not being unhappy, certainly very happy, very relieved that I wasn't going into the office every day, very relieved that I didn't have that stress every day. And a little bit frustrated that I didn't have a focus. And that, that became an issue. And then it was not overnight. It was certainly a long-term process for me to say, okay, I am going to call myself an artist. I am going to be an artist. That's it. And by happenstance, I found a group of, of people in, in my town who kind of had a cohort of getting together and criticizing and, and organizing events together of collaborating together. And that helped. Everyone made fun of me because I kept saying, I'm not an artist. I'm not sure I belong in this room. You you all have MFAs and BFAs and you've been doing this your entire lives. And they like, they just yelled at me. And where did you get the training though? Where did you learn or were you self-taught or how did you, because I know you've expanded from the original woodwork. I mean, I've taken classes over, over the last 15, 20 years weekend classes. I've gone all over the country to take woodworking classes. Back back even just 10 years ago, you could not get that many classes locally. Now everything is available everywhere and there's YouTube. There's just no shortage of learning opportunities. You could just spend an hour a day looking at YouTube videos and get yourself completely educated in anything you want to learn. Things that I I had to fly to Tennessee. There were there's there's craft schools in Tennessee, North Carolina. I went to a woodworking school in southern Indiana. Wow. Fabulous wow. place in the middle of the cornfield just south of Indianapolis. Uh, but they all took time and money. And sometimes driving to Tennessee is not the most fun thing you can do. Uh, but it's always worth it when you get there right. and you just get this intense effort. But I spent some time educating myself, but that was the technical use of tools, the technical background of woodworking. I wasn't really learning anything artistic. That was all in my head. So what surprised you the most? I mean, did you know that you had this creativity all along or? No, I had no clue. I mean, I knew that I enjoyed looking at art. I I have an artistic eye, but I didn't know I could make anything. And I will try to refrain from being humble in this in this <laughs> podcast and say, I'm still not sure I, I'm any good. at His stuff is great. And we're going to put uh, why don't you give the website? But we're also going to put the website in the notes for the podcast. But why don't you tell them where they can see your artwork, David? Oh, I'm on Instagram under David Rubman Art. And uh, my website is uh, Rubman Art. Rubman Art, R-U-B-M-A-N Art dot com. Yeah, it's it's truly amazing. So. You started in your basement, and where do you do your work now? Well, that, I think, was the biggest transition, and that, I think, is what made me comfortable saying I I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I, I uh, bought a building. Mm-hmm. I had been thinking about this for years. It had been in the back of my mind. And again, I think it's important 
to emphasize that a lot of what I've done has been in the back of my mind for many years. And I think that's with a lot of people. If, if you haven't been thinking about stuff, it may not be so easy to jump into something new. If you just wake up one day and say, I want to do something new, let me figure it out. I don't know if, how that works. I don't know how easy that is to work. For me, the process was vaguely in the back of my mind, vaguely, not really discussing it with people, not even discussing it with my wife. I spent a lot of time looking at real estate listings without really knowing what I was looking for. I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could find a building where I could put a shop in and then have, have some tenants that would pay for it so that my shop was free, essentially. And uh, I had no idea how to pull that off. I looked at real estate listings. Nothing seemed to make any sense. And then one day, a building became available a mile and a half from my house. It was a warehouse. And I bought it without any idea as to how I was going to make it work. I, again, a vague idea that the numbers were going to add up and I could do it. And the building was pretty raw when you bought it. Cause I remember, I think you, it was totally I think raw. you had like an open house, a pre-open house. I remember Stephen and I went to it. So you must've had some vision there. Well, it was a 5,000 square foot warehouse. It was a totally empty building, four walls and, and a roof and nothing else. And I envisioned creating a small area for, for a workshop. And then the rest was going to be residential. And hopefully if I put it all together, it would pay for itself. And it did. I mean, I don't know how it worked, but we, we made it work. I found the right people to do it. I, I mean, I knew enough to know that I had to get a building that was zoned properly. I mean, there were a lot of parameters before you, you start putting money down on, on buying something. I, I mean, I didn't do this totally blindly, but I didn't really know how it was going to come out. I didn't, I had no idea how, how expensive it was to build, to build out the building. I had a vague idea and I had people telling me some numbers, but I didn't believe that we'd come even close to those. And uh, I mean, we were maybe a hundred thousand dollars above estimated budget, which was, was fine with me. It wasn't bad at all. But um, we did it, and even with the pandemic raging, we finished the building, and I moved in about two years ago, rented out the apartments with no problem, and lo and behold, the income from the apartments pays for the building, it pays the mortgage, it pays everything, and my space is free. That's great. That's great. And now I have a place to go to, so I am officially an artist with a studio. And a real estate owner. You've got a lot of new titles now. So landlord <laughs> and a landlord. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so how often are you going to the studio? Do you go there often or every day? Do other artists. Oh, every day. Do you every have day. other artists there, too? Or we built two studio spaces and the second one is rented to a friend of mine who's who's upstairs for me. And she's a painter and a multimedia artist. And so it's great. So I have some company. We hang out at the end of the day. We have a little patio and have drinks. And her people come through. So I have a constant stream of visitors. My people come through and visit her. And it's it's not bad. Not not bad at all. It's very small scale. It's I mean, ideally we'd have spaces and we'd have 15 artists there and we'd have a whole world going on, but we have what we have. It works just fine. So I know the the title of this podcast is maximizing your return on life, but it sounds like you wake up and you kind of maximize your return on life with going to your studio and being with the other artists and creating things. So that's the theme. 
I'm not complaining. I have to say it's, it's quite <laughs> miraculous that it's come out this way because it was not planned. That's the key. That's, I think, the takeaway here is it was vaguely planned, but no way could I have predicted that I would own a building and have a place to go to. And then with the place to go to, my productivity has, has grown. And now I have a very clear vision of what I'm doing. I have a couple of galleries that are interested in showing my work. I, I'm not particularly in the business to be selling things. I just want to make something that's good. And it's still a process. I'm, I don't feel like I've gotten to the point where I want to artistically. And I certainly don't want to be mass producing and just making things for the sake of selling things. That's not that important to me. I would like to make things that are good. And this has given me the opportunity to do that, to at least get better and better and keep getting more feedback. Hopefully that's what I'm doing. You are. I mean, your stuff's amazing. Like I said, I've seen it on your website. I've seen it in person. You know, you've donated a few pieces for some auctions, which I know people have bid on and they have in their homes. But can you describe a little bit more about your artwork? You said multimedia, but can you give our listeners a little more frame of reference? Um, I start with a tree and then I carve it down to a form. And then that form is uh, textured and colored. Okay, so what does that mean? It's basic wood sculpture. It's taking uh, a wood and, and chipping away everything until you have, have a form. It's been done from time immemorial. It's, not, it's nothing new. The difference is that now they have tools that make it easier. I don't have to sit there with a chisel and a hammer and, ch and chisel away pieces of wood. Now they have rotary tools. They have electric tools that could take off a finger and a leg, of course. They're very dangerous, but they take wood off very quickly. And You still have all your fingers? I've been to the ER twice, but okay. minor. <laughs> minor, minor, okay. <laughs> minor efforts. And that was another part. I, I was saying, okay, how can I be, call myself a sculptor if I'm, I'm cheating? I'm not using the real tools. You know, in the old days, everyone, you had to train for years. You, you had to have an apprenticeship. You were not a sculptor if, if you used a shortcut. Of course, now, the, the vast majority of people doing anything in the creative field are using shortcuts. They're not turning their back on technology. They're not saying, I have to do it the old way. And there are plenty of people doing it the old way. I totally admire them. I, I see them on the internet. I see them in person. They're amazing. Uh -huh. I mean, the skill set on some of these folks is truly astounding you know when you think of the people who built the great old cathedrals the stonemasons yeah people who did all that fine work during the victorian era all the the mansions around with with hand handmade lion's heads and things like that there's still people out there who know how to do that stuff um i don't and i have no no interest in doing it and so my stuff is a little bit more more contemporary and i i'm trying my my aesthetic is mostly Japanese, so I, I go for the simplest forms and still trying to get the, the perfect simple form. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I'm working on it. Well, I've seen, I remember years ago, you did things with pencils and rulers and all that. I feel like you've evolved through the years and and I can call you an artist, David. I okay, I'll take an it. Artist. Thanks. And, and I think our listeners, when they see your website, will also... But just a few more things. I mean, I think you mentioned that you never thought you were going to go this angle. You started with the volunteer work. It sounds like you have to have patience and flexibility when you retire and really kind of 
think about it. Is there any more advice you can give on your thought process or some takeaways that some of our listeners who are thinking about retiring in the next few years? Is it something maybe they should try while they're still working like you did or some other things that you might be able to give some advice on? <laughs> I can't give advice. I mean, it's, I think I stunted. <laughs> you know, advice. My, my wife, I try to give advice to my wife. What is she going to do when she retires? Because she's a workaholic and she loves her work and it's, it really is very meaningful, but you know, her hobbies are, are limited show you know there's always so many books you can read and there's only so many theater events you could attend and there's only so much culture you can do and so many dinner parties you can go to i mean you have to find you do have to find something right right i find my happiest retired clients have something whether it's art whether they're consulting i think for a lot of people it's 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 keeping your body in shape and i I, Mm -hmm. that that can almost be a full-time job I, I think, whether it's running or tennis or, or bicycling, et cetera, et cetera, Pilates, getting up at five in the morning and killing yourself. Yep. For a lot of folks, that, that can be the center of it all. And I, I think that works. I think that works for a lot of folks. But you got, you got to have something. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have something to get up that you're excited to. You have a place to go because, you know, I even thought during COVID when we had the shelter in place, it could be very isolating to be at your home full time. And I know a lot of people are working from home and they do like to go out and they do like to get to the office. So I think for you to have a place to go to, to have people to see, to have drinks on the patio, it just kind of breaks up your day and, and you're not probably stressed about when you have to be there and how long you have to work. You do it when you want to and and when you enjoy it. Yeah. And then there's one other psychological game that I play that maybe others would would be interested in hearing about. Sherry and Steve have allowed me to take some of my money and and play with it on my own in the stock market. Very little, though. Very little. Very (laughs) little. Very little. Very very stern about be careful. Be careful. Anyway, it's so much fun. (laughs) I mean, there's periods that I don't do it at all. I don't even look. I have no idea what the market's doing. And then I go through the periods where I get totally fascinated by it. And I do a little trading here and there. I taught myself how to do options trading, which is a complicated little world, but very simple once once you figure out how it works. Uh-huh. And the way I do it is very safe. And it, so it's it, it gives me a little psychological game where I make a few bucks here and there right. and see if I can... You know, I call it, let's see if I can beat Sherry and Steve. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes you do, but. Oh, I don't tell you. You don't tell me. Yeah. No, well, no, I only, that, you only tell me when I you never do. tell you how I do <laughs> But the key is the majority of your money is managed in a safe, diversified portfolio, which gives you the options to do your option trading, which is fun too. So. Well, I don't want to think about it. I mean, that's the key is I don't want to think about it. And right. Let somebody else think about it as long as I know it's safe and doing whatever it can do. It's not, it's, that's not my highest priority, but um, psychologically you still have to have some victories in life. Mm-hmm. So in, in your career, whatever you do, you have to, have some degree of success. And if, you, if you're not having that, or if you don't have clients thanking you for doing something, or if you're, you're not providing a service, what are you doing? You gotta, you gotta have something where, where you feel good. And I don't have grandchildren yet. So have you ever looked back or you're, you're happy with your decision to retire when you did? And that's an easy one. No, no regrets there. I think most people don't have regrets. 
I mean, there were a couple moments when you panic and say, I mean, do I have enough money? That's, I think everyone goes through that phase and you kind of have to work with your advisors to make sure that you have made the right decision. Right, but, right. Which is a big part of what we do because you can't even think about it unless you have that peace of mind. And, and you know, getting your whole financial house in order is important to your state plan and everything like that. So my original idea that I was going to have a small business and make money and sell things that fell by the wayside when it just didn't seem worth the effort. And that's what I hear a lot is that people don't want to fully retire. They either want to slow down or try another passion because to go from working nonstop all these years to stopping is pretty hard. Um, I do want to go on one more topic because this is often a discussion that a lot of my uh, retirees have, especially when their kids are older, is second home. And you have a home in the Berkshires. And kind of what was your decision to do this? And why did you feel that you wanted to have a second home? For most people, this does not work. It works for us. It's just something that I've, I've always wanted to do. And we just found this amazing property of you know, 800 miles from our home. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I spend the summers here in Western Massachusetts. It's fabulous. But th- it's not for the faint of heart. It's just totally crazy what it takes to to maintain a second home it's constant issues and you just have to have this have the wherewithal to to deal with stuff like we got here this this summer and every single battery was dead the circuit breakers were broken i mean just little things that can drive us normal human beings crazy you're right Um, mice living in the in the sheets Wait, I was going to come visit you. The mice are gone, right? The mice are gone. Okay, thanks. 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 The, the, okay. the mice are gone. <laughs> we fixed uh, most of the immediate problems. But uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a full-time job too. If you get a second home, you just spend all your time going between the two homes. It's amazing how you can you can spend your day driving a few hours and then spend, you know, let's go back home. We have doctor appointments and then let's go to the country again. It's It can be a full-time job. We're doing a little differently because I'm spending the full summers summers here and my wife is going back and forth for her work. But with Zoom, she's able to do a lot of work from here. So that's that's working out great. And just, you know, we talked a little bit before. It is a place that your kids visit and your kids bring their friends. So a lot of happiness. But thank you for your honesty, because a lot of people think about a second home, but they don't think about all the mice and all the things you just mentioned, the batteries. And and sometimes, you know, we tell clients, maybe rent for a little bit. See if this is where you really want to be. Do you really have the time to maintain a, a second home? But, you know, it works for you, but but I'm glad you brought those points up. Or do a condo somewhere where the vast majority of stuff is taken care of for you. Right. Particularly the outdoor stuff. It's daunting to own a freestanding home. And it's daunting to own two freestanding homes. Yeah. And then you can't keep track of where you have a problem. And, you know, I keep two <laughs> separate lists of where, which repair people I need and where do I need the electrician and where do I need the plumber? It's not for the faith of heart. Okay. Well, thanks for your honesty. I'm sure people will really appreciate that because that's usually when we do the financial plans, a lot of our clients want us to plan in a second home. And, and I think, you know, you have to really figure out all the other pieces of your life and are you going to have the time to maintain it and going up and back. But it sounds like you've been a success story, David, for your retirement, not 
everyone I talked to has had the joy that you've had, but you now have another credential. You are an artist, a landlord, a father, friend, and husband. So um, David Rumman, thanks for coming today. As I said before, you are an example of someone that has maximized their return on life by really taking the time to find that passion. And I think one of the things you mentioned is that you need something, whether it's working out, whether it's you know theater, whether it's art, whether it's starting a business, maybe going part-time. But for those people thinking of retiring, you, you need to think a little earlier. You don't want to think of it the day that you are having your retirement party at work. You want to take some time. So any other comments before we end this podcast, David? Uh, well, this is for my children. We're, we're ready for grandchildren anytime. Okay. Okay. They have to get married first though, or maybe not. It doesn't have to be that order. Um, you know, I always heard someone, there was a t-shirt I saw in Disney world years ago that it said, if I knew being a grandparent was so great, I would have done that first. Right. So I'm with you. We're all waiting for grandchildren. So that's kind of the next step. But thank you, David, for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about maximizing your return on life, feel free to visit Rappaport Rikus Capital Management website at rrcapital.com. I also have my own website, which is sherrygrecorikus.com. We will put all the links for David, how to find his Instagram and his website. And David, why don't you say it one more time for our listeners, how they can find you on your Instagram and website. Instagram is uh, David Rubman Arts and the website is rubmanarts.com. Great. Well, I hope David has inspired those of you thinking about retiring in the short term or maybe even a little longer term to start thinking about it and find your passion. Thanks, David. And I look forward to seeing you soon back in Evanston when you come back. Thanks.